Oh, hey, uh, you just call me out the back here. You know, I've been putting this off for a bit, and, um... You know, I'm finally coming to terms with the fact that Sam Punk probably won't be coming back to wrestling, so I'm just having a bit of a bonfire out here in the backyard and getting rid of all of my punk memorabilia. Um, you know, because it's silly. It's silly to think that he's coming back and... You know, this is taking up space and me and Kelly are moving and, uh... What's that? He's... He's most likely going to show up this week in Winnipeg. To challenge MJF. Ah, shit. Where's the fire extinguisher? So, coming into Revolution, a lot of talk about storylines, the quality of Dynamite. Um, a lot of this, I think, is a narrative that is concocted by what we could probably call wrestling's mainstream media now. Um, a lot of these websites, if not have direct affiliation with WWE, have people who are on WWE's right payroll uh working for them um and now we've got sort of now that AEW has existed for three years or so there are people who have personal problems with management of AEW. Uh, for example brian alvarez is very good friends with matt jackson uh, and the young bucks and so he's not particularly happy with tony khan because CM Punk is coming back, and that's not what the elite want, and so forth. So, therefore, that's not what Brian Alvarez wants. And I think this pay-per-view is testament to the fact that all of the talk that had been happening for weeks leading into Revolution, there's no storylines, they've got to get to the storylines, what's happening, nothing's happening here, was bullshit. Was bullshit. Um, and then it gets propagated by people who read these websites and, and listen and watch, listen to their podcasts and watch their YouTube. Because when you stop and think about it, and we will go through this in, in this um, review, almost every single match at this pay-per-view was the culmination of at least two to three months of storytelling, sometimes longer. Uh, and that there were continuous beats to the story. Um, and every single story had a satisfying culmination or payoff or continuation of the story. I think the only difference really, in, in most part, between Tony's booking now and Tony's booking a year and a half ago where he was the Stanley Kubrick of pro wrestling 
is people's attitudes towards him as a person and AEW as a company. Um, but we'll go through that as the show goes on. I'll touch on the buy-in first really quickly. So we have Mark Briscoe and the Lucha Brothers defeat Ari Davari and the Varsity Athletes, who are Tony Nice and Josh Woods with Mark uh, Smart Mark Sterling. It is a fine warm-up match. Uh, Briscoe, Mark Briscoe is interesting due to his brother's comments. I didn't actually know what Jay Briscoe had said. And again... <laughs> This is, uh, so when he passed away, tragically, and it was really sad, when he passed away, I was like, oh, well, he must have made some sort of, you know, slightly homophobic comment, just because of the way everybody was talking about it, because it, it kept coming across of like, ah, oh, it wasn't really that big a deal. I'm not going to repeat the tweet, because I don't, I don't, I don't repeat hate speech on my podcast, but it's bad. It's really, really bad. You know, even for the internet, it's it's a it's a bad tweet. And again, you had people like Brian Alvarez, who I love. Brian, yeah, Brian is a guy that I really respect, and I, I think for the most part, his opinions are great. It's it's just he's a passionate guy, and I think sometimes he lets his feelings override objectivity. But you know, there are no journalistic standards in pro wrestling, so whatever. Um, but. Uh, it's just really interesting to me. I understand that Mark didn't make the comments, so he can't be expected to um, be punished for his brother's comments, but yeah, the likelihood is that they had pretty similar opinions. And uh, now Mark is kind of like the uh, talisman mascot for Ring of Honor. He comes out and sort of announces things for Ring of Honor and stuff, and I just don't know how I feel about that. You know, I mean... People can change, and if he, if they've apologized and they've walked it back, and yes, I understand if he came out in their defense and all that sort of thing. So, yeah, maybe I should just leave it alone. But after I read that text message, it really did burn into my subconscious, and I find it difficult to just let that go when that kind of hate speech is... You know, it's honest. It's real. It wasn't, you know... Uh, if you compare... I mean, I don't want to get into comparisons of what kind of <laughs> hate speech is acceptable and what isn't. You know, I think like the Sammy Guevara Mercedes money incident, you know, as much as it was disgusting of what Sammy said, he apologized, he stepped it back, he talked to Mercedes and, and she was fine with it, so it was okay. So I suppose it's probably should be a similar thing for the Briscoes and Mark didn't say anything, but it's just hard for me to not be tainted by what Jay said. Does that make sense? Anyway, they got the win here. It is, uh, it is. Look, it is testament to Tony Khan that he is essentially keeping Mark on the roster and just finding work for him. I mean, he could have a mid-card singles run. There's no reason why he couldn't do that. Maybe become Ring of Honor champion. I mean, that's another thing that could happen. I was really enjoying up until this week's Dynamite. I was really enjoying the separation between Ring of Honor and AEW. I think that needs to happen more and more. I think if you're going to do it, it needs to happen um, occasionally. Essentially, you need to set the the boundaries as well of like, is Ring of Honor AEW's NXT? I would say it is, but um, it's still got this sort of fluidity of like, oh, is it part of AEW? Is it not part of AEW? 
Anyway, this this match raised a lot of questions for me. Um, I, I thought it was fine. Uh, Tony Nese and Josh Woods are interesting. I think both of them, if they just had like an, a touch more skill on the mic, I think both of them could be really solid contributors to Dynamite. But I think the two of them together uh, in a tag team on Ring of Honor is probably about right right now. The Lucha Bros are interesting. They seem to be doing Ring of Honor stuff at the moment. I assume it's kind of a conversation that's been had of like, listen, we've got FTR, we've got the Acclaimed, we've got the Guns, we've got Young Bucks. Um, we've even got fucking <laughs> Jeff Jarrett and uh, Jay Lethal. There isn't a lot of room. Now Dan has and Orange Cassidy seem to be a tag team as well. Uh, the Best Friends, Butcher and the Blade. Like there's a lot of tag teams in the tag team division. And uh, we're probably not going to be able to get you a, a tag shot anytime soon. Anyway, all up, 2.75 stars. Um, I think the Lucha Bros will probably win the Ring of Honor tag titles um, that were announced this week on Dynamite. And that's why Mike Briscoe tagged with the Lucha Bros here to show that, you know, the Lucha Bros have got the Briscoes tick of approval. First match of the pay-per-view, Neil, and uh, we are looking at Ricky Starks defeating the Ocho, Chris Jericho. Uh, really the only thing to talk about here, besides a, a pretty good wrestling match, there's a Sammy run-in which was countered by Action Andretti. Um, thank God, uh, the lack of uh, involvement from the Jericho Appreciation Society was appreciated. So this is another one of those stories I was talking about earlier from the week after, um, what was the last pay-per-view full gear? So basically, uh, no, it was it winter is coming since winter is coming, which was just before Christmas. Um, Ricky Starks had a heavyweight match with MJF. It was brilliant. The feud was brilliant. And the week after <clears throat> or the next dynamite after winter is coming ricky starks was like i'm not sure what's next for me chris jericho came out um and basically was like listen you're entitled i don't know how you jumped the queue and got a heavyweight title when i should get it da, 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 da. and they've been feuding ever since i the, the sort of magnifying class that gets put on these storylines in comparison to what's happening across the road at the fed is pretty amazing to me and i don't really think that like the storytelling beats are really that different to what was happening a year ago year and a half ago i think people get bored quickly um and they want to see exciting and interesting stuff all the time and the thing that was said at the beginning of aw by cody which is ironic seeing he's not here anymore, is that AEW will do the work. And what seems to be the problem now is that everybody who has an opinion about pro wrestling doesn't want to do the work with AEW, which is insane to me because the exact same criticisms that a lot of these people had of WWE was that they didn't do the work. And then AEW came along and was like, oh, great, long-term storytelling and the same story being told every week and it's consistent and da 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 And now we're three years into 
dynamite and it's like ah oh, long-term storytelling oh god it's the same people every week oh blah 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 um yeah i'm not saying that there haven't been some things that i've disagreed with in fact the last couple of weeks on dynamite there's there's probably been more than any time in the history of dynamite me watching dynamite things that i haven't really liked um but what I need to remind myself is that most of the time when those things happen, there's usually a follow-up episode, you know, usually the next week on Dynamite or the week after, things happen that justify the thing that I didn't like. So, for example, this week, Will Hobbs wins. Uh, so, after Revolution, Will Hobbs wins the TNT belt off Wardlow, who wins on revolution here um, but with the help of qt marshall and i didn't like that booking because i don't like qt marshall full stop but i felt like it didn't you know it kind of protected wardlow a little bit but it made hobbs's win who has been this like unstoppable monster since he came back loner guy um it kind of popped the balloon of all of that so there are little bits and pieces of that, that that I think need work. There's probably room for Tony to have, you know, a couple of people helping him, helping him with creative, not writing scripts or anything like that, but just almost like continuity people. But yeah, anyway, outside of that, this was the right booking for a story that was, for the most part, pretty well told. Now, you might not like Jericho Appreciation Society. I don't particularly. But I thought this story of Ricky Starks in action and Dreddy versus the Jazz was great. For the most part, it was really enjoyable. It has done its job, which was to introduce Action and Dreddy to us and put Ricky Starks over even more than he already was. Because Ricky Starks has now only just narrowly lost to MJF, but really pushed him and has beaten Chris Jericho on numerous occasions. They're building him. They're building him as a star. So uh, this match was great. The right booking happened at the end of the story. And for the most part, I thought the story was really solid. Um, a little less jazz and a bit more Chris Jericho. I think this would have been a fantastic story, but... Um, Chris is also trying to do the right thing by the company by putting over six to seven people at a time every week. And it's just a bit busy, I think. Uh, but this was great. 3.75 stars for this one. Next up, we had Jungle Boy Jack Perry versus uh, Christian Cage. Jungle Boy getting the win here. You know, I think JR might have been right um, about Jungle Boy and the name. Uh as he becomes more of a man, I think maybe Jungle Boy needs to be dropped a little bit. But yeah, anyway, we'll see. We'll see. I can. I think if you were just changing the character from Jungle Boy, like the little tights and stuff, you know, little Tarzan tights, and then all of a sudden he's a a man's man, then yeah, you drop the Jungle Boy and go with Jack Perry. But anyway. Uh, this was a solid no DQ match. Uh, it lingered a little too long around the coffin for me. I think um, there's a tendency when 
gimmick matches like this exist to to really really <laughs> squeeze every drop out of the gimmick and and Christian and Jungle Boy definitely did this here. The only other thing I didn't quite like is uh, Jungle Boy giving Christian a little kiss on the head before sending him to the depths of hell. Like I don't think I don't think Jack Perry would feel that way about Christian. It, it's to show that he's still a good guy and he understands that Christian, you know, was a, a help at, at one point in his career. Um, but uh, yeah, I didn't I didn't really like that. Um, but again, this is long-term storytelling. I mean, this has been going on for years, like a year and a half. Like the first half was Christian being uh, Jungle Boy's mentor and then the inevitable heel turn. And then so for the last six to eight months, uh, Christian's sort of been off television for long periods of time. But when he has been, he's just been there to torment Jungle Boy. He's turned uh, Luchasaurus against jack perry like it's been great it's been everything that you thought it would be christian is an amazing worker um yeah i, I just thought this was great and, and another thing that i think needs to be uh, the audience needs to be reminded of is that tony khan doesn't end stories with heels winning usually and this gets missed in the bad booking lack of story discussions. Like, um, for every time I heard someone say, oh, there's no stories or they've got to get these stories happening. When you invest in stories over a long period of time, like Jungle Boy and Christian, you don't have to, one of the benefits of that is that you don't have to have it every week. You can do that if you want to, but if there's a year and a half of, of history between them, then you can have Christian show up three weeks before the pay-per-view um, and have these two guys have their final feud, you know, because it's been earned. You don't need to... What's going to be said that hasn't already been said? Like, they hate each other. Um, I suppose this time around it was that Juggle Boy has grown up. He's Jack Perry and he's, you know, he's put on weight and he's like looking ripped and fit. And he, he has learned a lot from Christian. He's grown up and he's ready to move on, like move past his father figure to become his own man. I thought it was really good storytelling. I thought the match was great. I'm really interested to see what Jungle Boy does next. You saw on Dynamite this week where he said he's coming after a belt. I don't know which belt that would be. I would assume probably MJF, now that Brian Danielson's out of the way. Um, I think there might be a couple of people in the queue before Jungle Boy who may show up at Winnipeg this week, either Adam Cole or CM Punk or even possibly Jay White. Not sure. Um, I think if... Jungle Boy showed up this week at Winnipeg to challenge MJF. People would be a little a little disappointed. I think you still need to build him up a little bit. Hasn't had a singles championship. So I think he's got to do the work. I think he's got to go through the TNT title or maybe the international championship. Maybe he goes after Orange Cassidy now that they've changed the belt. He gets the international belt, then he gets the TNT title, and then goes for the heavyweight title. There's no reason why you can't do that. 
you just need to give him a bit more time. Maybe he's a bit above the international championship. But anyway, all up, I thought this match was great. 3.75 stars. Trio's title was next, and uh, the House of Black defeated the Elite for the AEW Heavyweight Trio's belts. Um, some great square-offs here between Buddy and, and Kenny Omega, who Buddy Matthews has been compared to Kenny Omega uh, throughout his whole career. Um, Buddy Matthews is the really underestimated and underutilized, well, maybe not underutilized, but because he's definitely being utilized at the moment in AEW, but he is someone that I... I think in you know three four years time will be in the main event picture, um, and I'm really looking forward to that. You know, just on a very nationalistic level as an Australian, it would be nice to have an Australian, you know, heavyweight champion. That'd be great. And also Kenny and Malachi squaring off. There's always been something sort of electric between the two of them uh, when this has been happening, even though it's been for a short time. Um, but yeah, loved it. Uh, all up, it was a super fun match. The Elite do so well. Uh, they know how to pull the strings of an audience, and and it's uh, it's great that they did the job for House of Black. I mean, this should have happened, not necessarily the Elite doing the job, but the House of Black winning these belts or being pushed to the top of the card uh, should have happened as soon as they formed. AEW almost lost Malachi Black because that didn't happen. Um, so, so happy to see this happening. And kind of the changing of the guard of the Elite and Cody and their friends. And we're seeing more, we're seeing more open booking. So, yeah, you know, like House of Black winning the Trios title, FTR coming back and challenging for tag belts. I mean, it's almost like all of CM Punk's friends uh, being booked as champion. Interesting. Anyway, don't read anything into that. I'm just making that up. But this match was fantastic. 4.25 stars. The Women's Heavyweight Championship of the World was uh, defended next. Jamie Hayter defeating Ruby Soho and Soraya. Uh, this is a nice hard-hitting match from the girls. Uh, afterwards, the WWE girls or the outsiders started beating down Brit and Jamie. Ruby stops them to join in. What? Uh, I was actually swerved by this. Um, I didn't expect that. I I expected I expected Ruby to join the AEW girls, but this is much better. Yeah, I I think there is a better way to do the gimmick that the girls are doing. The loser gimmick. It just doesn't. It's not coming on, I assume, because it's like body. They're, they're spray painting on bodies that they've got some sort of like safe paint. Um, but the light green, like it needs to be a darker color. <laughs> this is so finicky, but the color needs to be darker. Um, and it needs to be some sort of body paint that actually shows up like an L. Because um, it's not, it's kind of like the girls beat down somebody they look badass and then they spend all this time trying to do a <laughs> an l and then it just looks lame it's like l for lame that's that's what it looks like um but outside of that gimmick i think this is really good i'm interested to see where this goes it doesn't really leave any room for mercedes money to come in and do anything if she was to come to AEW, as far as this storyline is concerned so yeah I mean, it would be weird if Mercedes Money joined 
and then joined the AEW girls. Maybe maybe it leaves room for Chris Statlander, as she was mentioned. So that would be great if she was to come back um, and and help out, and they push her as a as a star. Uh, but yeah, look again. I thought this story has been really fun. Um, it's been going for a while, basically since Soraya, I mean, Soraya joined was a face for maybe three or four weeks, and then turned heel. It was like great, okay, fantastic. Here we go, and they've done a pretty good job of. I mean, Jamie Hayter was already a babyface before they turned a babyface anyway because everybody just loves her, and then in in kind they've kind of rehabbed Britt Baker um at the same time so and the girls who are playing heels it doesn't affect them at all in fact I think Soraya is brilliant as a heel maybe should always be a heel um Tony Storm is probably a bit more interesting as a heel than she is a face although I think she's probably a baby face champion and Ruby Soho as a heel as well it was great in WWE and will be great in AEW so um, you know, all in all, and the good thing about this is that they've incorporated a lot of other different talent as well. So Willie Ni- Willow Nightingale has been involved. Um, oh God, almost every woman on the roster. I'm having a real blank <laughs> at the exact moment that I was going to say, but uh, you know, Willow, Willow Nightingale was the most recent one that I can think of, and uh, on Dynamite this week. And it's good in that way because a big criticism from me and Paul and a lot of different people. Uh, well, on this podcast and on other podcasts was that, you know, we were getting five-minute women's matches and that was it. And you had this whole roster that wasn't being utilised. Well, this is a way to utilise it. Um, you can have different people on TV each week um, and then ultimately all the women that get sort of screwed over by the outsiders, got to be a better name than that, that's already taken, Um can come back and get their revenge at different points. So thought all this match was really good. Thought the storytelling was really good. Um, yeah, really enjoying this. I think this is good for AEW and good for the women's division. 3.75 stars. It was a grudge match next. Hangman Adam Page defeated John Moxley in a Texas death match. Uh, I was in from the first minute of this match. These guys left it all in the ring. I was so happy watching it. It was barbed wire everywhere. Uh, there may have been a little blading at first, but these guys legitimately hurt each other. John Moxley is a master in-ring storyteller. Uh, as much as it can be a little bit much, the whole I'm a real bad guy gimmick at times, and, and just the saturation of him. I mean, he is on all the time. Um He's, but he is so valuable for the company. Uh, he turned Hangman into a legitimate A-grade star throughout this story and in this match. Um, and so Hangman Adam Page is now the tough guy, babyface, cowboy gimmick that we all thought he could be uh, at the, by the end of Revolution. The story being that Mox gave him everything, both barrels, and Hangman would just keep getting up. Because he had to win to restore his honor and confidence in himself. Uh, this match was all heat from Mox, so there was just no shine in the match whatsoever. Mox basically was beating down Hangman for the vast majority of the match. And the hope spots being kickouts. Um, really interesting way of doing it. 
Hangman eventually gets the win by choking Mox over the rope after a buckshot lariat uh, with a chain. Just brilliant. Uh, Look, again, this story had been told uh, for months. Um, Renee was involved. Hangman, you know, like Hangman got knocked out. John Moxley got knocked out. I suppose the only point in the story where I was like, "Eh," uh, was Moxley getting a roll-up win against hangman and then hangman essentially saying that's not how we decide things we, you know we don't win wrestling matches with a roll-up which i heard criticism about that again from brian alvarez of like well you won with the finish with a wrestling move like yeah dude but also uh, surprise roll-ups have been the only pin to win in wwe for 10 years so that's where that comes from do I have to explain everything? Uh, this match was fantastic. I'd lo- I'd love hardcore matches. I love no DQ matches. Um, I've always loved it. Like from the time that I saw my first one, probably in the mid nineties in WCW would have been like the nasty boys versus public enemy or something. Um, I, I, I love this. Um, and you know, uh, the special thing about pay-per-views uh, may they may they live forever is that the wrestlers themselves rise to the occasion and and uh, you know in particular i think mjf and brian danielson laid, a little later on in the pay-per-view were the same thing but really top stars know when it's time to pull something out and uh, hangman page and, and john moxley did this here um, and I'll remember this match. I will remember this match for a long time to come. Um, it's hard to split this in the main event, but uh, I was enthralled. I was absolutely enthralled. I've told some friends who aren't massive fans in hardcore wrestling to, or, you know, gory wrestling to go and watch it, and they've really enjoyed it as well. So if you haven't watched Revolution or you haven't seen this match, get your hands on, on it and watch it. This is what pro wrestling is all about. Um and uh yeah super fun five stars this is a five star match any way you slice it storyline in-ring performance uh the the booking the outcome the booking leading into it the booking coming out of it um yeah five stars fantastic match tnt title next wardlow defeats samoa joe uh this match was telegraphed because of the story and the fact that joe had two belts so he could afford to lose one um, the match itself was pretty dull. Wardlow doing a couple of high spots was cool, but all in all, this was all a bit mid. Uh, 2.75 stars. The Guns defend their AEW heavyweight tag team belts against Orange Cassie, Danhausen, Jay Lethal, and Jeff Jarrett, and the acclaimed. Uh, this match was super fun. I was bummed because of the result. <laughs> um, and then, uh, FTR returned, and I was happy again. Uh, so, all in all, a fun segment. Look, there was a lot of fun tag team wrestling happening um, in this match. Yeah, just good fun times. FTR coming back and challenging the guns is great, though. That's exactly what should be happening. You want your belts to be held by the top guys, no pun intended, and FTR are that. Uh, so, yeah, 3.75 stars. Main event time now, MJF defeating Brian Danielson for the AEW Heavyweight Championship. 
This match went for an hour, so it's hard to go through all the beats. Uh, let me just tell you why I think this is a better story than The Bloodline. Uh, it has been about wrestling the whole time. Brian Danielson is a legitimate star and a Hall of Famer who thinks MJF is a brash punk who deserves to be taught a lesson and he can also win a belt at the same time to cement his legacy in AEW like he has everywhere else he's wrestled. MJF has been scared of Brian Danielson initially and rightly so. Danielson's name and record speaks for itself. MJF does the usual... Uh, MJF stuff. He spends money on enforcers like Brian Cage and Roosh to take him out. He goes after friends like Christopher Daniels. He tries to break his arm and dislocate his shoulder. So Danielson can't use the label lock in their 60-minute match. At the same time, MJF is training like crazy in case all of his other plans don't work. When he strips off for the match at Revolution, there's no denying that he looks amazing and fit enough to go 60 minutes with Danielson. Uh, which he does to a point. Um, and then he still cheats at the end with an oxygen tank. This is all after Tony Khan has decided that you can't have a draw in this 60-man Ironman match because this has happened before and this isn't any way for Brian Danielson to lose to MJF is via a draw, which was great booking in itself to like swerve people and then give them what they wanted. This was not only the match of the year for me so far. It's one of the top three matches in AEW, maybe the best match in AEW. Uh, I feel like it's a turning point for the company and it'll give it the momentum that it needs moving forward for the next year or so. Um, there's so many other little bits and pieces for the, this story that I could bang on about. Um, you know, initially, Brian was the smart face he was getting the better of mjf what i do like about this character of mjf's is that he is a smart heel it's always been traditional that that's not the case that the heel eventually you know looks confused while the face you know has worked out a stipulation that works in his favor or or whatever i think this is better than not, not to double down on this too much because the bloodline I think was a really good story that was well told over a long period of time up until Sammy lost. And then I think it's lost all momentum. I just thought that the performances by both of these guys throughout the whole time, though, essentially going week for week were superb culminating in a match that you will not see in any other promotion. You won't see a match like this in new Japan. You definitely won't see a match like this in WWE. Uh, this is unique to AEW. Brian Danielson and, and, and Max reminded everybody why AEW is not only the best promotion on the planet, but why they're important. Because you see a form of storytelling uh, and a type of match that you wouldn't see anywhere else. Because you wouldn't get, you don't have the money to attract stars like MJF and Brian Danielson and say like Impact. Um, New Japan's on the other side of the world. So as much as you have wrestlers like Will Ospreay, well, you did have Jay White there up until a couple of weeks ago. You're still not going to see this kind of storytelling because New Japan don't tell stories like this. You don't have the promos and stuff. So this is 
a mix of the Americanized WWE sort of storytelling and the Japanese wrestling style and, and sort of old territory wrestling style all amalgamated into one with like a pinch of Ring of Honor and a pinch of ECW. And it's just a brilliant recipe. And I was so happy that this pay-per-view was so brilliant and seemed to have brought a lot of people back on board. Um, you know, whether they should have been off board or not is not really my place to say. Uh, I, me personally, I've been with AEW the whole time. I think every story that was told that led into this pay-per-view was great. Um, and, you know, even uh, even when there's a dynamite that's a bit, oh, uh, like this week's dynamite, for example, it's still much more entertaining than anything else. It's a thousand times better than Impact. It's a lot sharper and quicker than WWE. WWE takes so long to do everything. It's so dull and boring. You know, and again, New Japan is it was pretty much all about the matches. The stories are told in ring. Um, which is great, but that can also get a little monotonous at times. You, you need to break it up a bit. So even when, you know, things feel a little bit like, oh, is Tony, <laughs> was Tony there this week? What's what's happening? Uh, like this week, I still just think AEW is such a fun place to watch wrestling. And this pay-per-view was a fantastic representation of that. Um, best pay-per-view they've had in a while. And I actually thought Full Gear was pretty good too but um yeah revolution always tends to be it's kind of the sneaky pay-per-view i feel like each year it's maybe the best pay-per-view aw puts on and um yeah there's gonna have to be some pretty special stuff happening at uh double or nothing or um uh 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 you know the other ones Uh, to beat Revolution. So, look, I'm going to leave it there. This is a long episode, but there was a lot happened on Revolution, a lot of stuff that I wanted to give glowing praise to because it's deserved. If you haven't watched Revolution, you know, uh, go and watch this on Fight or, you know, get it from your um, cable provider. I mean, even if you have to get a dodgy copy somehow, get your hands on this pay-per-view. You know, go to a friend's place and watch it. Whatever you have to do, go and watch this pay-per-view because it is a representation of why AEW is so good, why I bang on about them all the time, um, and why you should be watching every week. All right, brother dudes, I'm going to leave it there. Until next time, may your wrestling be good wrestling. Have fun. I love you very much. Mwah. See you next time.